All right, well, after that, let's just pray and go home. I mean, that, that was just beautiful, Laura. Thank you so much. Um, let's seriously just go ahead and pray real quick, though, if you'll join me. So, Father God, we just come before you, and uh, God, we're just grateful again that we can just gather together in your presence, God, open up your word and just uh, hear what you have to say. Um, God, we thank you so much for, as the words to that song said, and we sang them earlier, um, there's going to be a day that we get to not only imagine, but God, we will get to see in full effect what living in your unhindered glory will be like. And so God, we just pray that we keep our focus on that. But while we're here you have a purpose for us, and God, you have a message for us and a life for us to live. So as we see what that is this morning, speak to us. God, just let us have hearts that are open to you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Uh, so a couple like months ago, I started donating blood. I found out that if you give plasma, they'll actually pay you for it. So jokes on them, but they had, were giving me money. I'm willing to do it. There's not much I wouldn't do for money short of sinning, but I realized while donating plasma, I have a problem. And my blood pressure was getting higher and higher every time I went. I just realized that it was getting bad. And I, my live-in nurse, who, if you're new here, is my wife, just before you start thinking anything, um, she started getting worried because she's a nurse and she knows what it leads to. And so she started telling me, like, you're going to have to make some life changes here or else you're going to have to get put on medication and later on you could be on dialysis. And uh, she kind of freaked me out, if I'm honest. And so it was like, okay, what kind of life changes do I have to make? Like I'll walk a mile every day, I guess. Like I can do that. And she was like, well, there's two things left you can do. Get rid of coffee and get rid of salt. And it was like, where do I get hooked up for that dialysis? Because I'm not giving those up. Um, and then she explained what dialysis was, and it was like, uh, never mind. And so for the past month or so, I have given up almost, not entirely, coffee and salt. And last week when I went to donate, I found out my blood pressure has dropped. So it was like, woohoo, that's good to know. Um, still not at the level that we want, but I'm not on medicine, so I'm happy about that. The reason I share that is um, because I was willing to sacrifice for better health. I mean, I love coffee, people, and I love salt. And like the two of them are wonderful. And I realized though, I have to make a choice. Sacrifice my health to enjoy what I'm living in the moment or sacrifice what I'm momentarily enjoying for something better down the road. And for you, it may not be something like that, but every single one of us makes a sacrifice. Every single one of us makes a decision to say, I'm going to give up something good so that I can eventually have something better. There are people who work 60 hours a week and they're saying, I'm gonna sacrifice leisure and hobbies and all of that stuff so that I can have more money and a better retirement later on. There are people who said, you know what? I'm gonna sacrifice my independence and my personal kind of not have to like tell anybody anything. And instead I'm gonna get married and I'm going to have to relate to this person and communicate with this person. And then there are even other people who are like, that wasn't enough freedom to give up. We're gonna have kids. And some of you have given up a lot of freedom. I know your families, but you see, you know what? My personal 
liberty, my personal freedom, isn't worth it compared to something so much greater. So I meant that as a major compliment, not as an insult. But we see, you know, people are willing to sacrifice sleep to wake up and go fish or hunt or go um, exercise. Everybody, maybe I haven't hit yours, you have something that you are willing to sacrifice and say, you know what, I'll give this up so that I can have something far greater. So the question I want to ask you today is, what are you willing to sacrifice for your liberty? And I, I mean personal liberty, but I also mean right now as an American person. Because again, we're going through this series on our home is not here. Paul told us in Ephesians or Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, I believe it was, that you are citizens of heaven. And so honestly, this, this series might kind of like cause some friction as it did already last week for me. I preached it and it was like, I have to remember my own sermon. That's hitting me. Because already somebody was stepping in on my, hey, I have the freedom not to do that. Why are they doing this? And then it was like, wait a minute. What's God's word tell me? And so that's what we're looking at through this. It's not to be political by any means. But it's to be, what does God's word tell me? And God's word tells me, I am not a citizen of America. I have an eternal kingdom that is my home. And so also God's word tells me in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1, it tells me that for freedom Christ has set us free. Which is a wonderful verse. I love that. Like, honestly, Paul said in Corinthians, you have the liberty to do anything. Like, all things are beneficial for me. Not all things, or not, not beneficial. All things are permissible for me. Not all things are beneficial. And so he's saying right here, you have the freedom to, to pretty much do what you want to do. You have been redeemed by Christ. But then a couple of verses later, he says in verse 13, do not allow your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so it's like, hey, I, I have the freedom, I can, I can do this, but it's not about me. For freedom I've been set free, but it's not so that I can run around claiming my freedom and pretty much run over everybody else. And so we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom. And so my question is, are you willing to give up your liberties in this life and maybe even in this nation for an eternal inheritance, for something that is far better as God's word tells us? Because last series, we went through Revelation and I told you these are gonna kind of piggyback on each other. And so we went through Revelation where we saw that Jesus is the only one that is worthy. Jesus is the only one that is victorious, but not only is he victorious, he's still on the throne and he will forever be on the throne. And then not only that, he's coming back to take us home. That we can only imagine right now, someday that is going to be a reality that will last for eternity. And so we have to have that in our mind, that this is not our home. That when you read 1 Peter, you have that eternal perspective. Because if you read it with an American lens, boy, it's going to make some things really hard. But if you read it with a, I'm not a citizen here. I reside here. But my home is an eternal kingdom that cannot be taken away. It kind of opens things up. 
And so that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, but we didn't finish chapter 1. So we're going to end chapter 1 and work in to chapter 2. Because last week we ended with verse 18, where Peter tells us, you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed. You were set free. You were, were just bought back with a price. If we don't understand that, then the rest of what we're going to read is pointless. It, it really doesn't make any sense. So we have to remember that we have been bought back, that we have been ransomed. This means that when Jesus died, the prison doors were open, that he died so that all men could be set free and that all men are set free. Let me clarify on that. The way that I picture it, this is just how my mind works, is that when Jesus died, every single prison door just opened up. Now he left us the choice. Are we going to walk through into freedom, which the only way to freedom is through the grace of God received by faith. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not a result of works so that no man may boast. So all the doors are open. We have to walk through with faith. A lot of people are like, nah, you know what? I'm happy in prison. I'm going to stay a prisoner. It doesn't mean Jesus didn't offer for them to be set free. It means they chose. I'm not walking through that. But the door has been opened. The way has been paved. It's only through the blood of Jesus that we can be set free from our sins. It used to be through the blood of bulls and animals. Notice we don't do sacrifices anymore. Because we realized, actually we didn't realize, Jesus told us that his sacrifice once and for all is the only sacrifice. It is the only way to open the prison doors. It's the only way to walk through. Hebrews 10 verse 4 said, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You can't do it. The only thing that can set us free is the blood of Jesus. So we have to walk through those prison doors, through faith, saying it's not blood and bulls, it's not my efforts, it's not because I'm an American, it's not because my parents were Christians, it is because Jesus died and that is the only thing my faith is in. That's how we walk through the doors, by placing our faith only in Jesus. And then we walk through. And the moment we do, God tells us that we have the promise of eternal life, that the moment we do, Earth is no longer our home, but we have an eternal kingdom that can never be taken away. And that when we walk through, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Paul tells us that in Ephesians. Ephesians 1, he says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we are called home. And so we're sealed. We're given a new identity. We have been purified. Man, that's one that kind of hit me this week, is that I am purified by the blood of Christ. First John tells us that if we are covered in the blood, his blood cleanses us. And so that means that whenever those actions that you did this week haunt you, or those actions that you did in the past haunt you, they're not there to haunt you, because you are pure 
You are righteous, not by your own doing, but by the righteousness of Christ that has been given to you and placed on you so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus. We have to understand that. So Peter tells us that when we're purified, in verse 22, he says, since you've purified your souls, by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. He says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Jesus says, you have been purified. You have been born again. That's a term we see in John chapter three. Where Jesus says, if anybody wants to come after me, they must be born again. They must die to themselves. That's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. He says, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, which means dying to yourself daily, and follow me. It's a daily death to ourself. That's really what your baptism is representative of. That you, when you are identified with Christ, you place your faith in him. Then you are publicly symbol, sim, sim, oh my goodness, symbolizing. Thank you, symbolizing. She knows, yes. That you are publicly symbolizing a death to yourself, being buried with Christ. And then you are being raised again to a new life. Paul tells us this in Colossians. He says, in Jesus also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. That's one of the heart. By putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So you died in this life and you were raised to an eternal life and inheritance that cannot be taken away and eternal salvation. Notice what Peter says, this comes through. He said, by obedience to the truth, or he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but of imperishable. How? Through the living and abiding word of God. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they going to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, the, for Isaiah says Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So it's the working of God's word in your life. That's the good news that was preached. The good news that Paul preached in Romans where he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he says, there is no one righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he says in Romans 6, 23, the wages of falling short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. He just said every single one of us is deserving of death. But then he says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because then he says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Because God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That's what Peter's saying is this is how you are purified by hearing that. There's nothing I can do. No one is good. No, not one. No one seeks after God on his own. No one is deserving of eternal life. Everyone is deserving of death. But the free gift of God through Jesus who died while we were still sinners is that we can have eternal life. That's how we're purified. We have to understand that. When you understand the gospel, you understand you are a citizen of an eternal kingdom. You are born again to a new life and you have an eternal inheritance. And so then Peter goes on and he says, therefore, because of this, you live differently. Chapter two, he says, so also therefore, because of the gospel, because of you being born again, because of your new identity, your kingdom citizenship, he says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like new, newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's saying, as kingdom citizens, you die to your selfish desires. Notice all those words. He says malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. A lot of those are like pride. It's like I'm going to slander somebody. I'm going to talk them down so I can feel better about myself. I'm going to be envious of somebody because I don't have what they have, and I deserve what they have. I'm going to deceive because it's all about me getting my way and not getting in trouble. Each one of those is rooted in it's about me, it's about pride. And Peter says, you're supposed to put away all that stuff. You died to that stuff. James tells us in James chapter 4, he says, what is it that causes quarrels among you? Have you ever wondered that? Man, why can I never get along with anybody? Everybody else is the problem. James says otherwise. He says, is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly because you want to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in him? 
So Peter is telling us, hey, instead of it being about my desires, instead of this world being about me, which is the American mantra, which is also the, in a, a hypoth- not hypothetical, in a paraphrase, the satanic church mantra, if it feels good to you, do it. If it's about you, do it. Worship yourself. That is to die. And we're to lift up Christ and to live for Christ. We build him up. Peter goes on to say that the natural response to receiving the word, when we truly receive it, he says, okay, now what you do? Yearn for it. Like an infant yearns for milk. Long for it. I don't know. I mean, I'm a dude and I'm not a dad. But I've heard that newborn babies really like milk. That like they will throw a huge fuss if they don't have milk. It's something you don't have to teach a newborn baby to do. It's like, come out the womb, I'm hungry, let's have something to eat. That's how our desire should be for God's word. Like, man, God, I want your word. I desire more of you. We're told in the Psalm, Psalm 42.1, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul, O Lord, pants for you. He says in Psalm 63.1, O God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry, we know dry, and weary land where there is no water. We're pretty much living that right now. Look at your crops, man. They would love some rain. I'm assuming. I'm not a farmer. (laughs) My grass would love rain. I know that much. But it's like, man, that is how our bodies, our souls should long for Christ, that we build him up because it only hinges on him. He is the foundation of it all. We talked about last week, the wise and the foolish builder. If you're building on anything that is not Jesus, it's all gonna come crashing down. And Peter elaborates on this. He says, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. He says it is all built on Jesus. He is that cornerstone that men rejected. Paul said the same thing, that we come together. And when we come together, we are being built into the temple of God, uh, built on the, the prophets and the apostles, but Jesus himself is the cornerstone. It's, it, it all hinges on him. We long for more and more of Jesus because of the work that Jesus did. We long for him. And then Peter tells us we have a new identity because of that. When we long for Jesus, when we, we are born again, Peter goes on to say, you? So they, they rejected Jesus. They stumble because of their rejection. But he says, but you... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's saying you're not identified by this world. It's not your home. I'm going to keep saying that. You are identified by Christ. 
and your home is eternally secure in him. And so we live for him. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 16, 19 through 20. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See what Paul or Peter said? He said, once you were not a people. You were, as Paul says, distant from God. You were strangers and alienated. Notice what he says now, though. Not only are you a people, which would be nice. I mean, hey, I had no identity. Now I have an identity. But he says, you are his people. You are God's people. You are God's person. God loves you. Your identity should flow from that. That your citizenship, your everything you are comes from the fact that you are God's. He says, once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And it's like, all right, great. I have an eternal home, but you know what? I'm stuck here. I'm, I'm stuck on this earth, but not without a purpose. He said in verse 9 that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's own possession. Verse 9, he says, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a purpose while you're here. It's not just to work a nine to five. It's not just to collect more things that will eventually fade away. It is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It is to proclaim the gospel. That's the gospel right there. I once lived in darkness. Now I live in the light of Jesus. I once was identified by my sin. Now I'm washed clean, I'm purified, and I am identified by God. I am his chosen child, his royal priesthood, his holy nation. I am his. We're called to share that. Jesus said it in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under, his people, under people's feet. And then he said, you... He's speaking to you. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not only in the good times, but also in the bad times that we let the light of Jesus shine, no matter what comes our way. Paul says that we have a joy that is inexpressible, that even when we lose everything, rejoice in the Lord always. And he'll say it again, rejoice. So we all can get on board with that part probably. Now comes the really fun part. Verse 13, a word nobody likes to hear. It's that nasty S word, submit. He says, be subject or submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, 
that by doing good, you should not be put to silence. You not, never mind. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedoms as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Then he says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's where it starts getting a little friction. Because again, we're Americans, but we're Christians. And at some point, they're going to collide. Used to be they ran on the same line, for the most part. They were outliers. But now, Christianity is becoming a minority. Maybe a silent majority, I don't know. But the, the, the flow of the country is becoming more and more separated from God's policy. And so our freedoms are starting to get stepped on. As we mentioned last week, churches are being told what to and what not to preach on. Just up north in Canada, we see pastors being thrown in prison for gathering. Overseas, it gets a whole lot crazier. We see brothers and sisters dying because they're gathering. But in America, we have a freedom. And so we're wanting to hold on to that freedom. As we see our, our nation declining, we want to hold on to what it used to be. And sometimes it comes at the expense of letting go of our Christianity. It comes at the expense of letting go of what God calls us to be. Because America's our home, but America's not our home. And you know what? Honestly, you can find a sermon that will totally contradict what I just said. And if you want that, look it up. I want to be submissive to what God's word says. And what God's word says is to be subject to the institutions. Peter even says to the emperor. You know who the emperor is at this time? It's a man named Nero, who at one point blamed Christians for burning Rome. And so he decided, you know what? My garden, it's a little dark. I'm going to start burning Christians so that I can have torches in my garden. And Peter's like, yeah, that guy? Be subject to him. Now, caveat here, if that's the right word, little disclaimer, obviously, when God's word collides with being submissive, we follow God's word. But the main thing I want to point out here is you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, not of America. We have ways that our forefathers, as in like the founding fathers of America, they have put into the Constitution. We get to fight in peaceful ways. And so, yeah, use your freedoms in America do, to do that. But never let go of your American freedom. Or, wow, wrong thing. Never let go of your Christian identity. Even if it means going to prison. Even if it means losing your life. Because Peter says, man, there are a lot of people who are going to suffer for doing wrong. Don't be one of them. But it is to your glory. And it glorifies God when you suffer for doing right. Not something I really like reading, but it makes total sense. Are you willing to give something up to gain 
the eternal inheritance that you have. Because there's kind of two main groups going on at this time that Peter's writing this. There's this group called zealots, and there's this group called Christians. And so the zealots, they were the political rebels. They were going out and they were like, Rome doesn't deserve to be here. We're going to go and you know what? We're going to carry daggers. We'll sneak up behind a soldier and we'll just shank him real quick, walk off. Nobody will know. And we're going to revolt against Rome in that sense. And then you have Christians who are being used as torches, who are being persecuted day in and day out. Which one do you think was, was winning more and more souls to the eternal kingdom? I mean, the church explodes. Because Jesus, when he came on the scene in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And zealots are like, oh yeah, let's go. Like, here's our political Messiah. And then a chapter later, he starts saying, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, this is what it looks like. He says, blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Like, wait a minute, what? That doesn't make sense. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You should rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were, who were before you. Which one won more souls to Christ? The ones that were like, hey, let's revolt. Let's, you know, it's all about our freedom, our independence, our nationality. Or the ones who said, you know what? We're gonna submit to God. And we're gonna live as citizens of an eternal kingdom. And we see uh, Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, and they're told, do not speak in the name of Jesus. And they said, you know what? Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, that's for you to judge. But we're, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. It's not weakness. It's not a blind following, a blind submission. It's not powerless, but it's how God calls us to live our lives as servants of Jesus Christ over anything else, as submitting to him and following him. Because there have been people in history who have gone against the government, obviously. There's gonna come a time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Corey Ten Boom are two who really jumped to mind. Who in Nazi Germany, they were told, re reveal the Jews, let us know who the Jews are, or else you're gonna suffer the same consequence as them. And both of them, saw that God's word was to protect these. And so they hid them. But they also suffered consequences on this earth for it. But I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer's response when he's in prison and they come to get him before taking him to be executed. And he looks at his friend who's in prison with him and he says, this is the end. But for me, it's only the beginning. He was like, you know what? My time on this earth is over. But I got eternity starting, man. 
Like I have the future that can never be taken away. I'm gonna submit to Jesus. I'm gonna follow him. And that is how Peter's able to tell us to live this way. We'll wrap up with this though. But Peter closes out in verse 21. He says, you've been called to this, to, sub, to, to submit, to suffer for doing good, to be subject to the emperor and to your masters. He says, because Christ also suffered for you, he left an example for you so that you might follow in his steps. He commanded, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that by his, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. How do we know we can go through this? Because Jesus set the example for us. He's that perfect example. Paul tells us that we should have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know how Jesus was able to do that? He was able to look through that. He sacrificed his life so that we could have eternal life. He sacrificed for something better for us. We can follow in that example. You know what? Jesus could have said, I'm not doing that. I'm going to rebel. I'm actually not just, I'm free. I'm the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He could have commanded angels to come down and taken him off that cross. But instead, he surrendered and he submitted because he knew the will of God and ultimately that God would be glorified. And Peter tells us that's what will happen when we live not as citizens of this earth, but as citizens of an eternal kingdom. Father God, we thank you for the example that you've left us. And God, we thank you that, that Jesus submitted and entrusted himself to you because without that, we all are still hopeless. But because he did that, we have a hope that goes beyond this world. And so God, work in our hearts as, as difficulties come along. May we remember we're yours. We are chosen by you. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people. God, we are your possession. And so we just pray, may we live as that. May we fix our eyes on you in everything that we do. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.